what you're right. gonna children and is what you're gonna be seeing and just seeing their faces light up when you brought something exciting and, and just being able to tell stories about the animals and make science interesting and digestible for the public was an extremely rewarding experience. Welcome to Oak and Adam, unfiltered conversations about nature, philosophy, spirituality, and life between a druid and an atheist. I'm Brian, a druid. And I'm Eric, an atheist. Welcome to Oak and Adam. Welcome to another episode of Oak and Adam with myself, Eric Burson, and Brian Campling. And Brian, we have a very special guest joining us on today's episode by the name of Nikki Dunbar. Welcome, Nikki. Hello, hello, and thank you so much for having me. So, Nikki, you, you've been in the natural space as far as conservation, as well as education within, you know, biology to wildlife, environmental, and you, you have a very rich experience in this space. So I guess what, what Brian and I have talked about uh, in prior episodes of how, how we got into conservation from our own levels, but we would love to hear how you got into it because you start off in the conservation space with, with the county. Uh, and then you moved into an educational role with, with the zoo here in the Metro. So that that's quite a change career wise within conservation. Right. And so I, I was really intrigued when I looked at your resume, I was really intrigued of that journey, but I, I think there's always a pinpoint. So like with others, we talked about, and with ourselves, we talked about what was that spark? that got you into this? Like, what do you have like a moment or things that you grew up with that just got you going into this space? That's a great question. And I would say that, yes, there's, there's always going to be that defining moment um, along with those that just that background in general that I kind of grew up um, in suburbia with mm. a really large family. Like really large. we're Greek. So we're a big, <laughs> loud Greek family. <laughs> Have you seen my big fat Greek wedding? It's just like that. I okay. swear. So I grew up with five brothers or five siblings total, wow. two brothers yep. and three sisters. And um, we were always playing outside as kids just because we had access to the outdoor space and we're very fortunate for that. Um, we lived in the West Des Moines area and it was still very much developing at that time. So at the end of our street was a cornfield, actually, and we would walk through that cornfield to get to school and back again. And um, yeah, just had the opportunity to be outside most of the time as a child and um, discovering that natural world for ourselves really did play that early role in life of, you know, finding where I am today, though, back then, that was not really what I thought about, you know, mm. every kid dreams, like, what, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I was going to be an actress. I don't know about you all, but <laughs> I was going to be making millions of dollars and have tons of fans. And that was kind of what I dreamed about. And that's because my siblings and I also watched a lot of movies. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, and I'm sure we're, they were on repeat, too. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. 
We watched a lot of movies growing up, which I also actually think plays a role in where I am today uh, because I wanted to be Indiana Jones, right? I mean, we grew up with the classics and Indiana Jones was always on an adventure. And so we did our best as children to make adventures outdoors. And I mean, from like making ourselves into characters to the toys that we played with was was all part of it. And yeah, so I mean, kind of living a little bit in that fantasy world, but uh, it, it was always a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, we we still pretty much talk exclusively in uh, movie quotes today. My siblings sure. and I do in movie references. Um, but yeah, so it, it was nice to be able to to get that, you know, um, just watching a lot of movies and kind of dreaming of our own fantasy worlds as well as playing outside in, in nature and the real world when you think about it. So, yeah, it was kind of a, a nice blend of the two there. <laughs> yes. Did you have a favorite of the Indiana Jones, by the way? It would have to be the last. Uh, ooh, actually... I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite. Probably Raiders of the Lost Ark is overall the best movie. Mm -hmm. But I thought the the Last Crusade had a lot of funny moments in it. With Sean Connery. Oh, yeah, of course. And then going back as an adult and watching Temple of Doom, I'm like, this is a comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one was was probably one of the weaker ones, right? Yeah. It still had had its moments. But all are very lovable, of course. And then... Um, you know, I am a huge Lord of the Rings nerd too. So those came out when I was about 10 years old and that was all an outdoor journey. And so, you know, I was kind of pretended I was in that middle earth world and, and just in general taking an adventure for myself, always, always discovering new things. And yeah. (laughs) So you grew up with five siblings. Yeah. Where do you line up in the five siblings? I'm number four. You're number yeah. four. Very much the middle child. Everybody always forgets about me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, definitely have that middle child syndrome. And and so I would always like speak louder. And sure. I think it translates into today. <laughs> and I'm definitely a talker. Though when I was really young, uh, my mom thought I was shy. So, you know, when I went off to preschool and kindergarten, she always thought, oh, she's going to be the quiet girl in class. And then the teachers during conferences would be like, uh, she won't shut up. <laughs> I, I asked because it's like, okay, so like I'm one of two. And Brian, you're you're an only child. I'm an only child. So I'm, I'm always fascinated like when people say, well, I came from a big family. Like how was that dynamic? Because my parents came from big families. So it's like always interesting hearing those and then it was just like nuclear family with with my with my growing up. So it was, I always ask like how that was like. It was a lot of fun, honestly. I mean, if if you got into a fight with a sibling, then oh, good, I can move on to another <laughs> one. Now we all got along pretty well, and we stay pretty close to this day, which good. I think how you know it's just that that Greek culture. Um, my dad is not Greek. My dad is um, like his heritage is Scottish English, but he's American. And my mom is from Greece. Okay. And she's used to that like very tight knit family 
louder. You you spend all your time together and you pretty much know everything about each other. Um, when So there's a, a big split between my oldest sibling to my youngest sibling, a 14-year difference. Okay. And the three older ones, they were kind of in like one age group essentially. And then there, I was the oldest of the three younger. So I actually hung out more with my younger two siblings than I did with my older three siblings. Um, But again, we all, we all hung out together, but um, my oldest sister, she went to college. She left the house in, in 2002. So I was, I was still very much a child at that point and I didn't get to see her in those older older years as much but we're very close today that's good yeah Yeah. so into the concert so you said that you were playing outside obviously that play is so important as far as like that discovery right so was there a point i guess when, when was the tipping point of when you decided to go into conservation was that college or was that high school like when, when did you decide that my journey yeah you want to hear it all huh <laughs> no. that's what we're here for Nikki. well throughout my childhood again playing outside of course but my favorite toys were always these little plastic animals that you can still buy today and like those are the only toys that i was like you're not getting rid of these at all you know like i'm gonna give those on to my children do you but still have them i still have them okay. yeah a whole box full of like my favorites okay. and Usually it was a different animal every couple months that I would just stick in my pocket and it went with me wherever I went. And I would, if I was bored, I would just have a little adventure for it out, you know, in the wild, so to speak, whether it was inside a building or actually outdoors, it just depended. Um, But what, you know, as I was growing up, of course, like actress was the first, like, yes, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And then in high school, I was reading a bunch of, murder mystery novels and then it was fbi agent you know for a little bit <laughs> was x-files in the in the lineup oh, i watch? loved the x-files yes. i still love the x-files but yeah i definitely it was it was exciting to be like oh you're solving a case and um yeah that was always really fun and then it wasn't until after high school actually i ended up going to dmac for a little bit just because i wasn't sure which direction i wanted to go and i was afraid of jumping into a major that i wasn't going to be passionate about and afraid of just making the wrong decision although i now would argue there's no real such thing. It's all just part of the journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am thankful that I went to DMAC. I went there for two years um, with intention that I was like, I'm going into movies again. And I want to be a film director this time. All right. <laughs> you know, like I have big aspirations. But as you should, um, I took a few film classes while I was there. And then the, the regular gen eds that you have to get out right. of the way. In 2013, I took a field ecology class that I was like, oh, this is fun. And I took a biology class as well. And then it was actually the same year that Bill Nye, the science guy, a childhood hero, um, went and publicly debated a creationist. Mm. And um, his name was Ken Ham. Yes. And that was a big it, debate. It was a big yes, debate. I remember that very it was vividly. it was pretty entertaining to watch. I watched it was it's about two to two and a half hours, I believe. It's a longer debate. Yep. Um, but I do one line that Bill Nye said stuck with me, and he said that the world always needed more scientists and engineers. And that just hit me right in the, you know, right in the heart. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I forgot how much that, like, I just, I love learning about animals. I love learning about science in general. 
And that is what led me into go into Iowa State, where um, that's where I went into animal ecology and then a double major in biology, just so I could have more background in the field in general. And that's kind of what led me on my way. But throughout college, I was really more into wildlife biology. And I kind of like what Cassie actually does now, you know, like what she has done and she does now. I, um, I wanted to be out in the field and I wanted to be discovering new species and just like be that full on scientist. Um, in the meantime, though, just to get some extra work experience, I went to the Blank Park Zoo for a seasonal um, animal presenter job. It was an educational job where you just take live animals to different locations and you teach people about them. And when I saw those kids' faces light up, because it's it's all age groups, but mostly kids is what you're right. going to children and is what you're going to be seeing and. Just seeing their faces light up when you brought something exciting and and just being able to tell stories about the animals and make science interesting and digestible for the public was an extremely rewarding experience. So the last year of college, I finished up my degree in with a research focus, but I knew that kind of like that scientific communication, that was the role that I wanted to take on afterward. So I did a um, a seasonal six-month position with Polk County Conservation as a naturalist. And that, you know, that's all a naturalist is being an expert on the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And so that includes science, nature and science and um, outdoor recreation as well. So that job allowed me to do a variety of different things teaching um again all age groups mostly children but it was it was really a lot of fun and so i decided to go back part-time and i had worked there for several years when covid19 hit though i was um i was definitely rearranged because there were no programs happening so that's where like i started doing a little more natural resources and uh then yeah do you want me to keep going (laughs) By all means, yeah, okay. absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I did, and that, you know, I'm very thankful for that experience yep. because it was really interesting um, to see that side of things as well. And I had never really done, um, like, you know, on the front lines conservation work like that before. So that was really interesting throughout 2020 to be a part of that. I helped out in the meantime with the Youth Corps Conservation Program, which is designed for teenagers as a work learning service program um, where they just get basically a taste of what it's like in the conservation field. And um, ba- and then in 2021, I actually led that for a time for a couple of months there, helping to get these teens inspired about being in the outdoors. And then I ended up Um, actually applying for a full-time position with the Blank Park Zoo in their education department. And that's where I am today. So I am back in education and um, teaching people all about nature science all day long. And it's extremely rewarding. I I enjoy it a lot and I'm very happy where I am today. (laughs) Yes. Like the teaching aspect of what you're passionate about, that that's, to, to me, that's rewarding. Like going to like a classroom talking about photography, and I actually have some coming up here shortly after this. Like that, 
is enjoyable. It's like when you know something and then you teach it, that's like that full circle balance of harmony that you get, right? Right, yeah, you definitely get to, you know, you share what you're most excited about with people. Of course, everyone's always excited. They have something they're passionate about and excited to share it with others. And when those other people match your excitement, it Mm -hmm. makes it that much better to see their faces light up. I mean, Brian does, you, you teach like a clinic on invasive species conservation, and I could see that passion just light up. Like you go in depth and you know, you may not even know it, but you do. Oh, oh, it's <laughs> the, well, I mean, it goes back to the, um, the old phrase that the best way to learn is to teach. Absolutely it is. And I mean, I've mentioned this on multiple episodes, like the, like I never actually took, like I've never actually taken formal even in high school, like I never actually took earth science because I changed high schools. I took physical science, which is like the precursor to physics twice because of when it was taught. So um, when I left Urbandale, Urbandale would teach earth science their freshman year. But when I went to Iowa Christian Academy, they taught it in eighth grade. In eighth grade, Urbandale taught physical science. And so I went, learned about potential and kinetic energy Again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then you're the expert in it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But so, and then um, I've, outside of some programming classes, um, I haven't taken any, like, um, any environmental type ed stuff in college. So literally everything has been taught or learned from either books or naturalists like yourself. Um, And so diving in with Stewards of Browns Woods, everything, literally everything I've learned since late 2018. Um, and so it's, it, it's, I don't know. There's just like when you're passionate about something, it's like, it doesn't matter how much or how long you've had training in it. It mm-hmm. just clicks and you, you can never get enough of it. Yeah, definitely. It's you can you can go so far teaching yourself or learning, you know, outside of an educational institution. A lot of what I know today, I did not learn in college. I learned a lot more about like the basics of science, of the scientific method and applying those techniques into science. And it's it's not quite what I talk about today, although I try to apply that when I can. But um, yeah, a lot of what I've learned has just been over the last couple of years and, and from chatting with people, which is nice. Oh, the, the, one, the one thing that from college that I will say it was completely transformative. And when I learned it, I'm like, why, why did I not learn this in middle school? Was the difference between causation and correlation. I didn't learn that until Psych 101 <laughs> at Simpson. I'm just like, wait. What? Good college, oh by the way. Oh my god! Are you kidding? Me? Yeah. <laughs> Good college, by the way. And from that point on, it just—it was just like, holy cow! That changed how I looked at everything. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's that's kind of like the foundations. You know, learning how to learn. Um, and once once you've got that, then it's just it all comes down to passion. It definitely you, does. You can you can tell like someone who is passionate about something versus someone who just read up on it and just like knows about it. Like, and I, and of how you kind of connect to like a good, like student or like a mentee is passion. That, that, that to me, that's where it all boils down to. 
Like you could be very book smart in something, but if you're passionate, those are the people you want to gravitate towards. Even if they may not be the most book smart in that topic, if they're passionate about it, follow that person because they're, they're going to teach you so much. That, and that took years to learn, to like trust those people. You know, we always gravitate towards the, those who have the most amount of degrees, but they may not be passionate about it and they, they just don't connect with you. Like I've had professors like that. Yeah, well, yeah. like I spend a lot of time studying with um, Stoicism and mm-hmm. like the Daily Stoic, and one of the things that they touch on all the time is, um, um, Eric, you follow this along too. I think I'm going to slaughter this a little bit, but it's essentially where you know, if you think you know everything, you are you can't learn anymore. exactly. Um, there's like a, a there's a smoother way of saying it. I can't remember it. Um, but it's, you know, it's essentially that premise of we, like going in, like if honestly, unless they were right next to each other, like I could probably point out an oak tree. Sometimes I get them mixed up with cottonwoods. The, <laughs> I mean, it's just like the, like white oaks, usually easy to tell if something's a red oak. I don't know. I just know about like the flaky bark and stuff. been hanging out with Layla a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like the, the, the neat thing about, um, kind of the path that I've taken is it's like my knowledge bank is kind of like a block of Swiss cheese where, um, I remember on kind of on the programming side, I took a, um, a database class after working with databases for a decade. And then, and I learned about some, like some of the fundamental theories. And I remember once in class, I was like, oh my gosh, that's why we have to do that. And, you know, and so it's, you're literally always learning and it's, it's so much fun. Um, like, oh my gosh. I agree. I would get very bored very quickly if I didn't have the opportunity to continue learning. And I mm-hmm. think that's part of why I love my job so much is because if you don't know something, you got to find out what the answer <laughs> is. I mean, it's perfectly acceptable to say, I don't know. I will have to look into that or something. Yep. Um, but I want to know. And if I have this question, <laughs> undoubtedly somebody else has it. And so that's kind of, I get to continuously keep learning um, while I do stuff. And and so, yeah, I agree. I, I definitely, I have holes in my knowledge bank as well. I do not know everything. I don't know any, I'm not even close to everything. I kind of know a lot or a little bit of, about a lot of things, I suppose. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's, there's still always room for, for that improvement, but no one will ever be perfect. Right. Well, that's the beauty and scalability of life, right? Like you, it's always like the continuation of your knowledge of either your passions or what other people are passionate about or knowledge that they have. Right. That's, that's, that's what makes things scalable. Like what you were talking about, Brian, like if you know everything, then you're done. What, what's your scalability? Where's your growth? Because you supposedly know everything. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this isn't a knock on education, but did either of you growing up grow up where you had to have the answer? You couldn't say, I don't know, because I grew up kind of in that environment. Not, and that wasn't like a knock on my parents or the education system, but it felt like the environment was you had to know the answer. And if you didn't know the answer, you're embarrassed. Um, and, and I think that I think that fosters a kind yeah, of. A, I think that that had a huge impact on me. Like, um, like I've got diagnosed ADD mm. and um, like I, 
I think I touched on this in a previous podcast where in like in math class, like I'm a fast learner, which is problematic if you have ADD and you're in a classroom because the class is taught generally to make sure that everyone is able to follow along. And so they'd be teaching a new concept. I'd be paying attention, engaged, interested, figure it out. They're still talking about the same thing. I'm bored. I'm daydreaming. They've moved on to two, three different things that I don't sure. know, but I'm still daydreaming. And then by the time I circle back, I'm like, wait, what are we talking about? <laughs> and I'm missing the steps to like, yeah. I'm looking at that like, I don't understand what the heck we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm too embarrassed. And, you know, and usually what would happen is then I'd, you know, slack off and I'd, you know, either play Morrowind or. Um, <laughs> oh, good old Morrowind. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why well, do my homework when I can play Morrowind? Uh, you know, and then, you know, at the, you know, end of the quarter, end of the semester, you know, I'd have a hard chart. This is where going to a, a smaller private school came into handy because usually the teacher would be like, Brian, you know, we need to get your shit together. Obviously, they, they wouldn't say it like that. But <laughs> Well, it depends. If you made them angry enough. <laughs> oh, no. this uh, the, uh, Christian school, man. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean. <laughs> but, I mean, but what was neat is then the teachers would actually, they'd take the time to sit down and actually and help me get caught up and kind of figure it out. And, right. Um, but there was definitely that, like, that weird, almost like shame, like, for... And guilt for like not knowing something right. that I felt like I should know. Um, I'm not entirely sure where that comes from in our society, but I don't know. I, I a lot a- of times I couldn't tell if it was in my own head that I was thinking that, or if that is really what was happening in the classroom. Because yeah, mm-hmm. I can I can definitely relate to that sense of not knowing the answer, especially, you know, myself, I would daydream as well. And if you got called on, then, you know, the sweat started. Oh, yeah. and Oops. Um, <laughs> I'm looking that up right now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if it, it, is it like an inadequacy thing? Like if you don't know, you feel inadequate? Because that's what the first feeling that comes to mind is like, you don't know, well, you're, you're not contributing you're inadequate like i don't know that's kind of you know what what's up i don't think we know (laughs) (laughs) we'll have to look into that (laughs) that would be that would be curious yeah i was gonna say if if any of you listeners understand like this aspect of human psyche please uh reach out (laughs) yeah by all means by all means but it took a while like when i got into the business world like post-college right and that mentality went into it and they're like, no, you don't know. You, it's fine. You don't know the answer. Just don't move on, find the answer, and get back. And that, that was a whole different mind shift for me. So I didn't know, like, with, through your respective, like, education into the real world, if that ever has occurred, because it was a learning curve for me. Now it's okay. I, and I, it could be like an ego thing, too. It's like you just let it go. It's like, yeah, I don't know. But I'll find that out. Well, I'll, software I'll engineer, we just Google it now. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that very easily during a program. Right. Hold oh. on one second yeah. to a group of 100 people. I'm going to look this up really quick. So, yes. Okay. So, have you been, Nikki, for your presentations, have you been stumped from a question that like, oh, my gosh, that is, this is awkward? Yes. There have been a few times. I'm not sure if I could, you know, like think back to a specific time for that. But many times over the years, I've been, let's see, one, two, three, four like five-ish years that I've kind of been doing this science education that 
I have been stumped a, mm-hmm. a couple times. You know, at first it was like every week and then a couple times a month. And now it's not as often that I can usually like, I mean, a lot of biology too is just stuff that information up there. It's a lot yep. of remembering that. And if you don't use it, then you lose it type of thing. And I have stuffed quite a bit up there. I still forget some things from time to time, but usually if somebody asks me something, I don't know the answer to, I will tell them, I don't know for sure, but here's my best guess. And I am able to get pretty relatively close to what answer they're looking for. Sufficient enough for them to be like, okay, sounds good. You answered my question, but there have been a few times that, you know, I was wrong too. And I just try to make sure because my big thing is I don't want any, um, miscommunication and I don't want to like get the wrong idea across or anything like that. So it's very important that what I, whatever I say is true and, uh, that, yeah, if, if they ask something, it's always better to say, I don't know, than to try and make up an answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, in my early days, it was all about, you know, I, I was not as experienced and it was more of a, a fact spitter, you know, like, oh, this yep. animal can live for this long and it eats this and it lives here and stuff. And um, now I try to do a little bit more storytelling just because it's a, it's more captivating and it feels more personal and things like that. And so you don't really need to know as many facts, though. I mean, again, the bank is, is it's grown mm-hmm. over the years, right. but um, it, back then it was like, oh, I don't know that fact. Like, do I just fill this awkward silence with something or... Um, do I, do I take it? Because again, I, you know, you get sweaty when you don't know the answer to something. So you want to know that answer, but I've learned to accept that it's not always possible. <laughs> <laughs> so to kind of touch on like storytelling versus fact spitting, um, could you, I don't know, maybe give an example using your, whatever your favorite oh, animal dear, is. You're or, putting me on the spot. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like. Um, well, I oftentimes like to talk about like my personal experiences because right now working at the zoo as an educator, I actually get to work with live animals for almost every program that I do. Um, we have an entire department of animals that are behind the scenes that are never really out on exhibit in the rest of the zoo that these animals are design or you know like their role is designed to be going out and visiting groups on these programs and so we'll take an animal or a couple animals out and um when we bring them out I mean I always have my favorites that I go to and I just talk about my personal experiences with them and I would say though like I, anytime you talk about spiders, I'm going to be there. You know, (laughs) I have, I think my biggest thing is that I want to, um, to break those misconceptions that people have about science, about spiders, about (laughs) animals in general, um, things that people are scared of and get them to realize that not only are they important, they're actually super cool as well. Mm-hmm. So spiders was an easy one to start with because there are so many spiders in Iowa. And so I kind of share a little bit. Sometimes when I do like a spider specific program, I'll share about how, oh, yeah, I mean, I was kind of an arachnophobe growing up because that's what everybody told me. Spiders are gross. Spiders are scary. And so I 
was scared just like everybody else. I couldn't touch them or I used to kill them or something like that. And then it just hit me again sometime in college when I embarrassed myself in front of a group of friends jumping three feet out of my chair when there was a wolf spider near me and then telling myself, (laughs) why was I even scared of that? And Mm -hmm. so by looking into that, it really helped me to kind of like really learn about the world of spiders. And so I'll even tell something like that during a program um, with intent that, you know, like you don't have to start out loving something just because you need to, you're, you want to learn more about it, that sometimes it does take those small baby steps. And when I worked at the Blank Park Zoo, I had my first opportunity ever to work with tarantulas, right? And I was shaking because I just... It's a big spider. <laughs> yeah, it's a big spider. You don't know if you're going to get bitten by it. And um, I overcame my fear very quickly after working with some really docile species there. And um, so from there, I was able to just be like, oh, you know, this... I think it was Rosie... Or, oh, gosh, I can't remember. Willow was the name of the first spider I ever worked with. And she was a rose hair tarantula. And... I was able to be like, yeah, Willow really likes to, you know, like she really likes to spend time in her enclosure and she sleeps a lot. Who else likes to sleep a lot? And just trying to be able to talk about the animal as well, anthropomorphize it a little bit just because (laughs) that's what helps people connect when they love something. They care a lot more about it. Absolutely. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I have to do a little bit. I mean, it's, it is so easy with younger kids to get them to, you know, like, oh, what do you think this spider eats? Does it like to eat pizza? What do you think? You know, and they'll <laughs> they'll throw out their little ideas. It's really sweet. And <laughs> I mean, it's it's really fun, especially working with the youngest, you know, kids that are able to like grasp certain concepts, get that idea instilled when they're young to be able to care about something. I will think I really do think will carry on with them throughout life and hopefully grow as well. Um, but I mean, anytime you ask me about a certain age group, I'm just like, Oh, that's my favorite. Oh, that's my favorite. You know, because Uh, they're all so important. I I like to hit as many different people as I can with programs. Um, just because I think all age groups are really important to talk, talk about. And adults, even though I would argue are the hardest to talk to, it's still really fun. People that I've worked with, and to go back to using spiders as a way to change people's minds, I have on several occasions, like I would say more than a handful of people have told me, I was like pretty freaked out about spiders until I met you. You really like have given me the chance to like help start getting over my fear and see them in a different light. And that is what I aim to do, not only for spiders, of course, but like for as many different animals and just throughout like biology, as many organisms and anything out in nature that I can do. That's, that's my main goal. Yeah. So I like, (laughs) I don't know, with my spider experience, I don't know if you were like a bug catcher as a kid. Oh yeah. (laughs) Okay. Cause I was huge. Like I have, I was, I told a whole story on an episode where I caught a bunch of uh, lightning bugs and let them go in my room because I was, I wanted. That sounds magical though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But with spiders, like I've, I caught a, a fair amount, but for me where I draw the line is where I know it's toxic. Like it's harmful. Like I even had a episode where I, my bath towel must have fell off the rack, but then when I put the towel on, a brown recluse was crawling up on the side. So I was like, 
oh, I know exactly what that is. Um, I'm not playing around with it. You know, I'm not rescuing it. I'm, <laughs> that's where I draw the line, I right. guess. Right. It's a good thing that you're able to identify it because misidentification mm. is something that we really struggle with in our society. And you see one, you know, a spider or a snake in the distance and you're like, oh my God, it must be the most mm. venomous one that you can think of, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, you don't, you don't want to be playing around, especially with the more dangerous species. And here in Iowa, I feel like we're just far enough north that those venomous species like the brown recluse and black widow are not super common and so luckily we don't like have to worry about that as much right. but yeah mm -hmm. as you go further you know as you go like closer to the equator obviously you're going to be finding more diversity and especially more venomous species as well that you have to look out for so definitely not something you want to play around with um but i can't say that i've had the opportunity to see a brown recluse. I would really like to see one. I mean, I could show one. you. I, 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 mean. I know. I'm like, it'd be really <laughs> fun. I mean, they're they're pretty reclusive <laughs> to yep. their name. So I, I, I just it. don't know if I've noticed one. I loved it because the pest guy that came to my place, he goes, well, did you get uh, Amazon boxes and stuff like that? It's like, he's like, he thought I was completely naive. It's like, no, like there's, there's no way brown recluses are coming in on Amazon boxes. I live in an old building and it's dark. It's perfect for their environment. Yes, we're on the northern edge, but it's like the last place they're going to be is at a busy, well lit, you know, facility. Like that's not common for this species. Right. Like, give me. I, I'm going to play Occam's Razor here. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I have heard specifically about the brown, brown recluse that um, people living in Missouri, where it's obviously more common sure. down there, um, they'll. I mean, there are accounts of like, oh, people. Yeah, we we've had them living in our house for years, but they don't bother us. So we just live right. with like no extermination or anything of that, that they, you know, they just make sure to be a little careful about it and just observant, uh, you know, like if check you see one, check your shoes, check your clothes. And most of the time with spiders in general, like they're not like super strong fangs into, you know, biting into right. humans. And the it's very much a myth that like every time people see a bite on on their body that they see like two spots close together most of the time they're like yeah that's a spider bite a lot of times it's not it might hmm. just be an animal that bit you twice or a different fanged animal but um yeah spider especially with the brown recluse i've heard that like it's more like you accidentally squish them into you essentially is what gives the oh that, you give like, them the extra pressure yeah okay. you give that extra pressure to really like push them into your body and so that's mostly what i've heard with them interesting i mean that makes sense that makes sense like yeah because we have pretty tough skin for the most mm -hmm. part right like mm -hmm. yeah when i when i was in the core my uh sergeant was absolutely terrified of spiders and so i wasn't and thereby i got designated as the spider marine um so whenever there was a spider that needed to be dealt with i was summoned um, I was also one of the lowest ranking ones in the play. <laughs> uh, and uh, this was, you know, it wasn't a big deal until we got activated and went to uh, Camp Pendleton in Southern California. And the barracks were infested with black widows. Oh, and so, oh. yeah, so it was my job to go around to kill the black widows. <laughs> yes. Not going to lie, that uh, it was mildly terrifying. <laughs> but... And a lot of work. Yes. <laughs> Have you handled, like, so with kids, with spiders, like, 
what do you do you i'm sure you see the big range of reactions like oh or two they're like super engaged like, especially when you bring the tarantulas mm-hmm. i've had that's like do you have bird eating tarantulas bird eating species uh, tarantulas there or? used to be at the blank park zoo it no longer is there but okay. it was the third largest species actually called the oh, i want to say it's called like the full name is like the salmon pink bird eater okay something like that Ooh. and it she was ginormous she was awesome like i was afraid to handle her just because i didn't know how skittish she was mm-hmm. and tarantulas are extremely fragile in fact most of them are ground dwellers because um they're just so heavy bodied and um just the way they like make their webs they they tend to make them on the ground and um i mean they're still good climbers don't get me wrong but some of them won't jump if they're scared and so i never handled her with my hands when she was around um i would just gently scoop her into a carrier and that's where she would stay Uh, When it comes to bringing them out to the kids, most of the time I get fascination because especially with younger ages, they haven't really had that like drilled into their mind that spiders are evil quite yet. And so (laughs) snakes and spiders and other, you know, bat, well, we don't work with bat live bats but like the idea of talking about bats and, uh, you know, just those unloved critters out there. It's important easier. Critters. Yeah, important. <laughs> so <laughs> Some of the most important. You know, it's so unfortunate. But um, yeah, but just by like talking with those younger ages, it hasn't really been instilled in their mind yet that those animals are truly evil. And so, yeah, I, I just want to help impose like these are really cool animals. And um, depending on where I work, so, so like at um, Polk County Conservation, we were able to handle them in our hands for the most part. The Blank Park Zoo is um, being an AZA accredited zoo. That's Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Okay. Um, it requires you to have the best animal welfare possible, which I totally understand. And COVID um, also allowed us to, to relook at how we're handling animals and how many we're taking out and stuff like that. So the zoo has really um, gone away from handling things with our hands to letting them kind of do their own thing and, and show those natural behaviors, natural movements. And we think that's actually an ultimately better experience. So um, there are no more bird eaters that I get to work with, okay. but we do have two new tarantulas at the zoo, a desert blonde tarantula and a curly haired tarantula. Both are, one, the desert blonde is found a little more in the southern United States into Central America, and the curly hair is like exclusively Central America, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. ask because again at Camp Pendleton, when we'd be going on hikes and yeah. doing patrols and stuff, we'd see tarantulas scurrying across all over the place. Lucky. And the uh, <laughs> I mean, there was we had this is this is this is awful, but um. In the Marine Corps, it's... <laughs> Nikki's can, face right now is like, yeah, don't you, do you, it. Don't say it. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you don't... If you have a fear, it's best kept to yourself. So those of you who are interested in going into the Corps, keep that in mind. Um, but somebody mentioned and made the mistake of mentioning that they were afraid of spiders. And so one of the sergeants, this was during infantry training, um, went out and um, had like the little boonie, like the kind of the hat type thing. And was collecting a bunch of tarantulas into this hat. And then um, the for firing a machine gun, 
you've got one person who's on the gun and then another person who's actually laying half on top of them to support them because it's a powerful weapon and then who would help feed the ammo. Well, they found one Marine who wasn't scared of spiders who was cool with this. So the Marine who was terrified of spiders was behind the machine gun. They had the one holding him down and then the other sergeant came up with a boonie full of tarantulas and dumped him on him. <laughs> oh, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> to be crawling in anything can be very creepy. I'll <laughs> add that in there. I don't want to be swarmed by anything. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, awful. Like, that, I mean, well, that, that, that's the Marine Corps culture right there. Um, <laughs> he survived, though, right? He did. He ah, survived just fine. to tell the tale. Didn't just even, fine. Didn't get bit at all? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? Yeah. yeah. They actually, when we were in like our fighting holes, they'd warned us that, like, if you like are dozing off behind your weapon, you wake up, don't be surprised if you see a tarantula in your face because mm-hmm. it's there and you're breathing warm air and it's just there to warm up. <laughs> don't freak out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's so true. They're a lot more docile than people think they are. And people think they're like hunted by spiders or something. Like, no, they, they typically want to stay away from you. And, and once they realize that you're a giant animal right next to them, yeah, they're, they're going to want to get away from that. So, <laughs> I mean, I was scared of spiders as a kid, but I have always had empathy for animals and, um, it's made me not a good hunter at all. Like I've never, never actually been hunting before, but I don't think I could stomach it. Honestly, I, like I haven't either. I I really respect hunting. It's a, I I think it's a great practice. It's sustainable and um, it's good at you know controlling populations of certain animals. But I just I can't do it. I get I feel really bad if I kill a fly now. So <laughs> I, yeah, out at Browns Woods, I'll tell people and they ask about like the bow hunters and stuff like that and i'm like well i mean it probably wouldn't be entirely you know well received if we tried to you know release you know wolves back into brown's woods so um we make do with uh, simulated wolves via the bow hunters <laughs> yes simulated wolves i like that <laughs> i'm sure that's a good way to kind of like settle it to those uh, oh absolutely yeah, yeah. When, they're, when they're like oh wolves or bow hunting <laughs> yeah Definitely an interesting perspective. But I yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, that's nature. I mean, it's predator mm-hmm. prey. I mean, there's got to be a balance. Otherwise, there it is. What, which is, no, like, um, we've noticed that there's been an increase in, like, um, like the bobcat population. Or not mm-hmm. bobcat, but uh, mountain lion population. Oh, really? Um, I don't know if there's been any. I've been out of the loop on that one, unfortunately. Yeah. But so, that's exciting. <laughs> so I, I am kind of curious. Like, so going from Polk County Conservation, which is very much Iowa ecosystem centric, to Blank Park Zoo, which is like global ecosystem centric, how, how's that shift been? Tune in next week for part two of our interview with Nikki Dunbar on Oak and Adam.